The purpose of this podcast is solely for patient education. It is not intended to evaluate, diagnose, treat, or cure disease. Views expressed are those of the podcasters and not their affiliate. Any medical questions or concerns should be addressed by the listener's physician or care provider. Listening to this podcast does not constitute a patient-physician relationship between the listener and the podcaster. We do hope the podcast can help enhance the listener's own medical experience. Welcome back to this week's episode of Everything Your Doc Wants You to Know and Doesn't Have Time to Tell You. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform about health matters affecting adults. From latest research updates to tips on navigating their healthcare system and everything in between. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Lindsay. How are you, Lindsay? Oh, hanging in there. Yeah, this is definitely... How about you? Um, yeah, it's kind of the same. You know, doing all right. Um, I think like even with our podcast here, we're podcasting remotely. And so it's everything is just a different experience. But... It's going okay. Trying to keep a positive attitude for sure. Right. Um, it's been a bit eerie at the clinic as we have um, made it so no patients, well, not necessarily no patients are coming in, but the majority of um, visits that we're doing are telemedicine visits. So it's just been very weird. Yeah. Even Friday when I was leaving work, it was sunny and um, just a beautiful afternoon, but it was so quiet. It was it was pretty eerie. I took pictures, but the pictures don't really even do it justice just to show exactly what it looks like and feels like right now. Right. So very different. Yeah. But we're glad we're able to do remote visits and keep people home and safe, too. So exactly. I think it's it's a good thing overall. And we're lucky today to be able to talk with uh, Dr. Guerrero, who um, is a practicing infectious disease physician at Sanford. Yeah, and we brought him in to talk more about COVID-19. We wanted to share some expertise with you. So Dr. Guerrero graduated from the University of the Philippines and completed his training in internal medicine at Akron General Medical Center and his infectious disease fellowship at Case Western Reserve in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Dr. Guerrero uh, enjoys spending time with his wife and three children. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Guerrero. Um, usually when we have guests on, we have you just kind of do a quick one-liner about yourself um, and, you know, give us an interesting fact if you want to. Oh, sure. Yeah, so thank you for inviting me today and talking about, you know, our issues currently in healthcare. Uh, I, I work at Sanford Health as an infectious disease physician. When I'm not working, I usually stay at home. I have three kids. Um, as a family, my wife and I and our three kids actually do Taekwondo. Um, my oldest son, a 10-year-old, is a uh, two-time world champion in Taekwondo. Wow. And, and uh, my wife and I are, are uh, first-degree black belts as well. So that's keeping us busy. Very so neat. I guess that's, that's something that we do as a family. That's cool. So, that sounds fun. Mm -hmm. So I imagine you've probably been able to practice together still, even while isolating at home? Yeah, so we we have to because we need to keep the training going, sure. and uh, and actually that's a good thing about martial arts is that the instructors are able to provide Zoom trainings as well. Very neat. Um, e yeah, even though we're not actually in the dojo, um, they're able to actually conduct trainings every day from uh, here locally and also at the headquarters. So w we're still busy despite being stay or despite staying at home. So. Well, we wanted to. Um get your expertise today on, like you said, the issues going on right now, COVID-19. Everybody is talking about it. It's in the news a lot. And I know a lot of people 
um, are maybe tired of hearing about it, but we wanted to really get some solid information from an expert on kind of what people should know um, and kind of dig into that a little bit more than we did last week. So, um, sure. Yeah. Thanks for being on here. Yeah. And, and thank you for inviting me and, you know, giving this opportunity to talk to your patients and to your listeners about COVID-19. Uh, before we start, I'll probably put a disclaimer that um, if I say something here today, you know, sometimes it's not a news tool that a few hours later, even half a day later, things change. So uh, so we'll t- I'll try to answer as, as much of the questions I have with what we have uh with our data currently and the current recommendations. But as far as, you know, um, COVID-19, things are changing really quickly, uh, even on a daily basis, sometimes hourly basis. Recommendations change every day. So this is definitely a dynamic process as far as healthcare, research, and just the whole scientific and even just the whole community as well. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for making that point because I think – it's it's so important for people to realize that just because we say something one day and are giving different information the following day, it doesn't mean we were wrong yesterday. It just means we have more information to make new decisions or new recommendations. Yes, that, that's very important. That's correct. Well, I think... Um, you know, I've I, the questions in the past week from my patients have really focused on social distancing. And so I'd like to start with that a little bit. And again, I think most most people by now know what the recommendations are and what the guidelines are. Um, the questions that I've heard are kind of how long do we have to do this for and is it really going to help? So can you talk a little bit about what to expect over the next several you know, weeks or even months maybe if we are really good at adhering to social distancing and maybe how that would look if we don't do such a good job adhering to social distancing. Sure. Um, so social distancing, you know, people would probably ask, like, wh- why do we need to do social distancing? Um, historically, uh, this is probably one of the earliest public health actions that we've done whenever there is a new um, infectious disease or a new um, contagion or uh, infection that's going around. Um, you know, even in the medieval medieval times, you know, with the bubonic plague, uh, people have um, mitigated that using social distancing for sure. Uh, even though they did not know that at that time that there is such a thing as you know microorganisms, bacteria, viruses, people in by instinct knew that they should stay away from people who are sick. So um, social distancing is one of those um, mitigation processes that we do for uh, public health um, actions to contain these infectious diseases. So again, like I told you, even in medieval times, this is something that we've done. Uh, Historically, uh, for example, even in the uh, Spanish flu of 1918, Um, There are a few, um, I would say, states um, who did not immediately take social distancing into effect. Well, they didn't call it social distancing at that time, but just basically staying away or staying at home. Um, And we've seen that those states that did not, you know, like uh, Pennsylvania, uh, as as opposed to Missouri, um, they... We've seen a lot more deaths in, in those states that did not take immediate action as far as containing or what we call now social distancing. Um, so this is just one of those actions that we know in the past historically that would work. Now, what would we expect and how long should we be doing social distancing? Again, this is one of those things that we just don't know much about. Um, you know, COVID-19 is new. 
we don't have much experience with this virus. We don't have um, any known treatment, uh, or at least uh, uh, until recently approved treatment for it that we know will work. Um, and we don't have any vaccines for it. Um, so we have to keep on doing this public health measures, including social distancing. Um, nobody really knows how long uh, we will need to do it. Uh, there's a uh, some projections that have been released. One from um, the International Health Measures and Evaluation. I think this is from University of Washington, where they said that we haven't even had the peak, and we know that we haven't even had the peak here in the United States for COVID-19, and we probably will see the worst in the next couple of weeks as far as our cases and, and deaths uh, for COVID-19. Um, one of the things that they've said, if we if we keep adhering to social distancing, uh, we'll probably start to see a, de a decline or a slowdown uh, or the end of the first wave into maybe June uh, of this year. Um, again, that means that a lot of people in the country still don't have immunity, uh, which makes us suspect that there could be a second wave. So um, we may not necessarily have to stop the social distancing even after beyond June. Um, this may this may be something we may need to do even beyond that. Uh, one thing in like um, countries or areas like Hong Kong, where they um, you know lifted or became more lenient into their restrictions, that they have seen a surge or an increase of their cases despite it going down. So um, again, the, when I said June, that's this is just one of many projections. Um, nobody really knows the a good data or nobody can really predict accurately, but um, probably until we get enough people who could be immune to it or if you know whether from infection or if we have the vaccine already is the time that we'll be able to sort of like relax into some of these measures and so to you, I mean, I know we've done several things where we live here um, in North Dakota. They, you know, shut down the schools like they've done most places, and and several types of businesses um, are shut down as well. But to you, what what is social distancing? I mean, I know to me, it's that um, the only people you should be gathered with are the people that live in your home, I guess, and. I just wondered what that means to you. Yeah, that, that's exactly correct. You know, um, try to uh, minimize exposure to other people not within your, uh, that are not within your household. And um, basically, you know, sometimes we cannot prevent going outside because you need to go to grocery or go through the hospital. Um, you know, make sure you stay away at least within six feet uh, from any other person. So, but anything that is not essential, I would recommend that we stay at home. And I was kind of disappointed in my essential grocery store run the other day because it was a packed, packed place and people were there. More than one person was going out. So to me, I feel like we're going to do better as a community if the person doing if only one person from the household is sent out at a time to do kind of the, the necessary thing. Yeah, I mean, I agree about that. I mean, really, you don't need more than one person for, for the most part to do your grocery shopping and don't do it often. Um, we try not to tell people, you know, don't do panic buying because you'd like to um, 
you know, you don't want to hoard too much and you want to share to the rest of the community what is available in the groceries. But, but at the same time, don't go frequently. As I say about if you have a couple of weeks of um, food at home, is what we typically would recommend at this time. That's really helpful. Yeah, I think um, we've we've kind of had similar sentiments driving by the stores and things coming home from work is, you know, wow, there are still a lot of people out. And um, certainly we all have some things that need to be done that are essential, um, but trying to limit that and certainly sending out no more than one person from a household when possible is going to help uh, minimize spread, I would think. And I wanted to jump back to something you said, which might have been kind of an eye-opener for people just a few minutes ago. You mentioned that possibly in June we'll be seeing the end of the first wave, implying that there may be a second wave. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit more about that, because I don't know if people have really um, heard about this idea or understand that right now, while we're social distancing for 30 days or the next 30 days, um, what we're looking at potentially over the next several months. What what are we looking at here? Uh, again, this is just one of many predictions, and I don't think we have enough data to say exactly what is going to happen. Uh, this is just one of the few data that we've seen. Um, with social distancing, hopefully will it will, what we call right now, flatten the curve and decrease the number of cases once we've peaked. Um, but at the same time, what really is bothering or bothersome about this virus is that there's not, again, it's novel, which means that a lot of people are still not immune to it. And um, there's still ongoing community transmission. And um, once you have those cases going down, there is a potential for it to continue to spread in the community. You would see a bump again of cases, especially if people are being more lenient into Um, you know, their restrictions such as social distancing. Yeah. And I think so. Thank you for clarifying that. I think that's a really good point. And I think um, we do need to think of this not as a sprint, probably, but it's going to look more like a marathon in terms of these are actions that we're probably going to need to continue for a while and hopefully not quite to such a restrictive degree over time. But um, like you said, until there's more widespread immunity or a vaccine, um, we're probably looking at some degree of social distancing. Is that right? That is correct. That's absolutely correct. Unfortunately, that's going to be the the scenario. I, this what I think it would be, is that this is a, a long process and uh, people will have to make a lot of adjustments and, um, you know, consider several activities as what they used to do normally, maybe restricted for, for a longer time period. And what, I mean, I know this is, is a question that's really difficult to answer as well, but what are the time frame are we looking at for a vaccine to be available? You know, for, for COVID-19, um, like, like you mentioned, probably there's no real good answer to that. But I, the good thing about what's happening, also one of the things that's a good result of what's happening in this pandemic is that scientific community has, been, has never been more um, Engage and um, you know communicative and sharing their data. Almost every day we have um, publications or that comes out that um, normally would take months to come out. Um, some 
sharing of information is is there. Um, as far as vaccine, normally this takes years to develop because you need to make sure that you're able to, first of all, make the vaccine, that it will work, mm-hmm. and that it will become that it will be safe um, is the other thing. Um, so there still needs to be a long process for this to be able to go out into what I would say the market or to the patients. Um, they need to test it for efficacy and also to test it for safety. And this takes a lot of time because you need to test it on um, uh, on people um, via research. So, But I know right now there's a lot of uh, pharmaceutical companies who are actually engaging or starting to look into some vaccine trials. So my estimate is that between 18 and 18 months to about two years is when we would expect um, a good vaccine to be out there. And kind of along those lines, I know there's um, various information about treatments as well. And I know, again, with being in the relatively early stages of this virus, it's hard to know what's going to be really effective and what's not. Um, Are there treatments that you feel like are really helpful at this point, or is it still a matter of watching for more research, getting more studies, and hopefully seeing new medications come out that will treat this virus? Yeah. So um, again, the scientific community is very active on this. Um, you know, one other thing that we try to do is we we always learn from previous occurrences, from previous pandemics. Um, this COVID nineteen is that is. Um, is not the only coronavirus that we've had in the last 10 years. You know, we've had SARS in early 2000, 2003, and then we had the Middle East or the MERS coronavirus uh, a few years ago. And so we we have had some experience with coronavirus, um, in particular in other viruses, in other pandemics. Um, one of the things that, um, that has been recently approved by the FDA is the use of two malaria medications, Chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine has some activity in vitro to um, the SARS-CoV-2 or the uh, the virus for um, COVID-19. And um, there are other things on the pipeline right now. There is a medication that's called remdesivir. Um, and this is a medication that's not... Um, used for any other illnesses. Um, In the past, they have been tested for other viruses, including Ebola virus. But right now, it's one of them, I think, out there that may have some promise in terms of antiviral activity against this novel coronavirus. There are other uh, studies also going on as far as um, what we call immunomodulators or uh, medications that could potentially improve your immune system to fight the the um, the virus. Um, one of the medications uh, is actually used for treatment of rheumatoid arthritis, and there are other symptomatic treatments right now. Also, there are ongoing that we have ongoing trials, including the use of um, nitrogen oxide um, for symptomatic relief. And also maybe some passive immunity with uh, pooled um, plasma that would have generic antibodies uh, that could improve outcomes of patients with severe COVID-19. So are these medications and treatments available in widespread use at this point? Or is it really on a trial basis when people are enrolled in a study? So the uh, hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine, these are um, the malaria medications that we have on hand. Um, These two uh, 
either one of these two in conjunction with a very common ant antibiotic um, may be used. And that's actually what we're using right now because that's what we have on hand. Um, the remdesivir that I mentioned earlier, the uh, antiviral medication is only available through compassionate use, uh, investigational new drugs, so it has to go through that research realm. And you have to request this to the pharmaceutical company who actually um, makes it. The hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine, there is an ongoing trial for also at University of Minnesota for uh, post-exposure prophylaxis as well. That is ongoing. I think that I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the results of that and just seeing the efficacy or how useful it is, um, because they're also looking for prevention of the of the uh, disease for those who are exposed, especially healthcare workers. And um, again, the other medications are available just through research, and you'd have to um, ask that through uh, the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, the the IL-6 inhibitor, which is called Actimra, is used for rheumatoid arthritis, so that is also available. Um, uh, not FDA-approved for COVID-19, but it is available for rheumatoid arthritis. So that's something that could potentially be used. I'd like to just backtrack a little bit. When we were talking about grocery shopping, sure. I know a lot of people, or even getting um, packages in the, the mail, um, are you recommending kind of doing a wipe down of these or do you think that people are at risk from from bringing things into their home from outside that is a very good question and um i think this this um idea may potentially may have stemmed from the um what we know about this virus that it can stay in the environment for an extended period of time, you know, anywhere from two hours to nine days, um, depending on the type of surface, you know, cardboards, um, your porous substances, they can last. We know now that there is some viral degradation that happens within 72 hours. Those non-porous um, surfaces, uh, potentially this can last longer. Um, however, uh, at this point, there is no recommendation from CDC um, about specifically for those groceries or boxes uh, of what to do about them. Now, having said that, you know, what are the things or measures that CDC actually says? So one would be to, you know, wash your hands and make sure you don't touch your mouth, nose. Um, this is not something that you would get or the, the infection is not something that you would get from ingestion or eating. So the actual food or the grocery that you have, you do not expect to um, be infected by eating it. But it's more of the touching your hands and um, touching your face or inhaling uh, or anything from your ha from your hands that would you that you would be able to inhale or get this into your mucosa or your nose or mouth. Um, that is how you could potentially get the infection. So the biggest thing to prevent this really is, you know, stay away from people who may have it, uh, avoid the exposure, and just washing your hands. So I would say wash your hands. Uh, if you're going to handle the groceries, just make sure after that that you would wash your hands. Um, would I wipe down the groceries? I would consider many things. You know, one would be how much 
community spread is going on in your community. You know, in North Dakota, we only we don't have as much cases as you know states like in New York, which is the epicenter in the U.S. So in those areas, you may be adding um, extra layer of safety is reasonable. Uh, again, there's no data to that. Um, I think the biggest um, thing to prevent it would be washing your hands. But you know, just I would say keep those factors in mind uh, there's no actual cdc recommendation for the grocery and uh, uh, objects that would come in from the outside but just keep in mind that those factors that would make you decide of actually doing it or not let's talk for a minute about testing fortunately now i think you know testing is fairly widely available um and we're starting to have you know on, on a widespread basis lots of people being tested what I'm curious more for you know advice that we give patients. What are the rates of having a false negative test? And I want to just clarify for our listeners too. So a false negative would be when somebody gets a test back saying that they do not have the virus, um, when in reality they do have the virus. So f- false negative tests. And then what kind of precautions should we be taking anyway for anybody who thinks they may have symptoms? Um, just because there is a chance, a possibility of having a false negative test. Uh, well, the, the the biggest thing to prevent transmission would be if you think that you have the infection and you've been tested. Um, you know, again, self quarantine, isolate yourself to prevent exposure to other people. Um, the actual test that we do right now for the disease is called a, a PCR test or polymerase chain reaction, where we actually look for DNA material or genetic material of the virus. Um, Now, we don't have the actual sensitivity or how good the test is at this point. There have been some data that came out um, saying that there's actually uh, low sensitivity of the test because you can have more false negative um, testing. But right now, we don't even have um, what we call a gold standard um, that has been used for evaluating the sensitivity of that test. Um, My personal opinion is that the numbers that came out from a study is really because they they used CT scan findings um, as their gold standard for the test. That's why the sensitivities were low. Um, and, And we know for a fact that, you know, you can have CT scan findings, um, not just from COVID or from, but other from other infections as well. So, so that, that's the biggest problem is that we don't have that actual precise number as far as what the sensitivity of the test is. Sure. So, we think it's a good test, and in general, um, I think hopefully people can take or be reassured if they do have a negative test but if they're still having symptoms the advice would be to still self-quarantine still kind of follow those guidelines to stay um, home or stay you know in self-quarantine for 72 hours after the last fever Uh, is that kind of what you would say that's still what i would recommend because even though if it's not covid19 it's probably going to be another virus that you would do the same thing so what resources do you recommend for people who are looking for more up-to-date information and valid information? You mentioned the CDC. Are there other really good resources that kind of tell us how we're doing and what, what, what to expect over the next few weeks? I would stay with the CDC website. They do have good resources and gives you updates. Um, 
you know, like recently they recommended wearing cloth masks, even if you're just going out. Um, I guess that's something that I forgot to mention earlier. Um, they do have specific recommendations depending on your risk. If you have other comorbidities, um, your age, um, so they have specific recommendations based on based on your risk. So I think it's it's a very good resource. Um, you know the the news, the mainstream media are giving some information, um, but again, I would say, I would say you would ha- you would you would need what what information you would need. You probably be able to get just on the CDC website because it has a lot of information already, and um, it would give you the links to anything else that you need to look outside of that um, of that website. Sure, that's right. that's very helpful. Yeah, so I, I guess I'll just close with saying that, uh, you know, this is not the first pandemic that we've had in the world over the centuries. Um, where the good thing is that we're, we're trying to apply those scientific measures and um, mitigation actions um, based on what we've learned from previous pandemics. And um, it's just one of those things that we can see ourselves in crisis. Um but don't forget to also look at the good things that may have come to this. You know, it's a big pause for everybody. Um, but, you know, spend time with your family and um, uh, you have no other choice but, but to stay inside your house. But, again, it's a good time to, um, you know, have some home-cooked meal and spend some good time with your family. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Definitely no, appreciate it. Yeah, so I I, I really appreciate appreciate also and thank you for the opportunity to to do, to do, do this podcast and and uh, give some information to you and to your patients. So Lindsay, do we have a health pearl for today? Yeah, I think it's important for all of us to kind of um, deal with our mental health at this time. I know it's just it's stressful and strange and. And just such a weird time. I think we all probably have a at least a low-lying, high cortisol level of anxiety just in our system kind of 24-7 right now. And so, you know, the ways that I'm dealing with it and recommending other people to try too um, is to take a minute for yourself every day, more than a minute. And, and I've been exercising and actually some vigorous exercise has been helpful because I feel this just pent up. Uh, this thing back there, which is stress and anxiety, right? That is just there all the time. And so when I get on my bike or get on the treadmill and just, just go a couple of times yeah, as fast as I can and hard as I can just to get that out, I feel so much better. Um, and the other things I've been recommending are the Calm or Headspace apps, which are really good at helping kind of quiet your mind and and reset and, you know, meditate and deep breathing. I think all of those are really great things to, to help in this time. They're really important. And I think if you're stressed enough, you might need to do the exercise part first, because trying to quiet your mind is pretty challenging, um, depending on your level of stress. And so doing that exercise, like you said, can help release that extra energy. And then um, doing doing something to meditate or just help relax is definitely a healthy thing right now. I would say I've noticed for my my own self just um, 
I've probably slacked off a little bit. Like I just want to eat less healthy food and right. my motivation isn't as great because I feel like there's there are bigger things going on right now. Um, but I have been making a point to get out with my family or today we were actually playing capture the flag in the house. And so that meant running up and down two flights of stairs to try to capture my children's flag. <laughs> and we, we lost right. several times, but it was it was a good way to burn off some energy too. We had a little ping pong tournament. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> Yeah. So I think those are all really important things. Um, And maybe next week we can focus more on just the mental health parts of dealing with everything that's different right now. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening and hang in there. We're going to get through this. That's right. If you have questions or comments for us, please email us. We're at mail at everythingdoc.com. We'll try to get back to you in as much of a timely way as we can. Obviously, our schedule might be a little off from usual right now just with the pandemic happening um you can follow us on twitter and facebook and find us where you find your other podcasts exactly until next time take care stay home and stay well have a good one